Welcome to another episode of Maritime Health and Performance Chat, where we talk everything from mental health, career paths, academia, and athletics. Speaking of those latter two, we've got a real heavy hitter in both the academic and athletic world, coming to you in the form of Kayla Miller, a national team rower and lab colleague of mine, finishing up her Master's of Science in Kinesiology. But far be it from me to butcher all of Kayla's academic and athletic experience when she's perfectly capable of doing that herself. So without further ado, Kayla, the conch is yours. Yeah, so as Matt said, I'm Kayla. Um, I'm a provincial team rower uh, and I'm finishing up an MSc, so a Master's of Science in Kinesiology. Uh, where I'm focusing on um, biomechanics. So I'm looking at kinetic force profiles and asymmetries in elite and sub-elite kayakers. So that's pretty cool. And I've also coached rowing. So, you know, I just kind of do a bunch of things. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. You know, you, you mentioned your research just because it speaks to the variety of research that goes on where you're looking at kind of the biomechanics of those movement patterns, looking at some EMG and some movement data. And then, you know, on my end where I'm looking at very different stuff, neuromuscular changes based on uh, electrical stimulation, and which has more applications, you know, in like kind of a rehab setting where you're in that high performance sports setting. So, I mean, just within academia, there's, there's, you know, so many options, even just within one lab. I'd love to hear kind of a little bit more about how you got to where you are today and, and you know, what kind of athletic or academic influences got you to uh, both your, uh, your master's and, and being a high performance athlete. Yeah. So uh, in terms of athletics, I was a rugby player. So I played a lot of rugby in high school and for a month in university. And then I got injured and could no longer do that. Um, so <laughs> I was quickly looking for to join another sport, another team, because it was just something I had always been used to doing. And I had a friend suggest that I join this indoor rowing group that I hadn't heard that much about, but kind of thought it was interesting. So I tried it and loved it and then really got into training. And within two years, I made the provincial team and then kind of continued on from there and have now competed at nationals and um, Royal Canadian Henley, which is an event that people from around the world compete at. So that's been pretty cool. And then in terms of my academic career, I've always had a passion for health and fitness um, and kind of that path. So kinesiology was a natural fit for me. And then just with my athletics shifting to high performance throughout my undergrad degree. So from just kind of your average athlete to high performance athletics, I thought that It'd be really cool to work with athletes um, like myself and better than myself. Um, so that kind of led me into doing work with uh, kayakers, you know, the fluid dynamics and things like that are at least applicable across the two sports. So that's been pretty helpful that I can do both of them. Yeah. I mean, it seems natural progression that kin students usually come from that athletic background. It's kind of a, a nice transition from actually living it and doing all these motions to learning about how you become better as an athlete and how you know how our body functions in regards to sport and physical activity so I mean you know you always hear about a lot of athletes transitioning into kin was it a pretty seamless transition for you you enjoyed it right off the bat I want to say yeah I mean the first two years are always general science and you kind of question why you're in it and then in the upper years at least for undergrad, you, you start to do all the exercise physiology, biomechanics, those sorts of things. And the second that we hit those, I was like, okay, I picked the right degree. This is really interesting. 
Yeah. And then in terms of being an athlete and applications to my degree, it's been super helpful in both ways. I mean, there are things that I feel uh, you just can't really understand unless you've been on both sides of it, both in terms of being an athlete, you can bring things to your professional career um, because you can at least empathize with the athletes. And there are just some things, unless you've been in a boat, you just won't understand. And I mean, vice versa, like being a professional or at least mass professional student at this point, um, there are things that I've learned that I've been able to apply to my athletics. So like some of my nutrition courses and I mean, biomechanics I've definitely used as an athlete to try and make myself better and kind of suggested things. I've worked, I've worked with my coach too, to <laughs> help with some um, performance analytics and stuff like that. So it's been pretty cool. <laughs> That's a great point. Um, you know, having to have experienced these things to sort of allow you to make the best sort of evidence-based choices from a mix of your personal experience as well as the research. You know, it's great to have all the theoretical knowledge in the world, but if you haven't done something or at least taken a crack at something, it's really hard to apply those theoretical principles because there's so much more that goes on um, than just the numbers and results and, and, and things, you know, things that come out of research studies, right? There's so much other factors once you leave the lab and get onto the playing field or get into the gym, right? And, you know, I think that's something that's lost with a lot of academics and coaches uh, in anything, whether it be coaches of sports, strength conditioning coaches and whatnot. They're working with, on the coach side of things, they're working with these athletes and, you know, they might not have actually experienced what these athletes are going through. So they might not be able to make the best informed decisions as far as building a program that best suits their athletes. On the other side of that, academics, it's very easy to, to say, you know, based on this study I did, here's the best recommendations. But that's in a, a lab setting where everything is controlled uh, and there's not a whole lot of outside variables that could affect uh, the result of something. So, I mean, it's such a, you bring such an interesting uh, perspective to the table where you have experience in both academia and athletics. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely been great. And I think, I mean, I, I agree. I think that there are definitely specific circumstances and cases where the performance analyst, the nutritionist, the whatever might not have been the athlete and can still apply things. But I feel that the professionals that haven't been on the athlete side just need to work more carefully with coaches and at least spend more time trying to understand what the athletes are going through and how to apply the principles bring to the table to actually be able to use it in a way to make the athletes better. Yeah, that's actually another great point. I mean, um, to sort of amend what I had just said before, you don't, it's not that you need, you know, maybe the experience or, or the academic background. Um, but it just, I think, kind of slingshots you forward where you already have that experience. So you have kind of a better judgment as far as making decisions to benefit these athletes or in interpret study results as far as real world applications. So it's not that you need these. It's just, it definitely helps a lot. I'd love to know kind of, cause I'm very unfamiliar with the sport of rowing. I'd love to know kind of more so pre COVID what, what sort of a year uh, of rowing would look like, like what sort of, what's your training progressions and you know, what kind of competitions were you, were you competing in? And I'd love to hear, cause I know personally that I know that you have gotten some pretty phenomenal results in, in rowing competitions. So definitely, definitely love to hear a bit more about that. Yeah. Um, I cannot speak to the mesocycles and those sorts of things. That's, 
all done, we get a weekly schedule on Sunday. And then from Monday to Saturday, we do that schedule. But I mean, over the winter months when the lake is frozen, we will train inside or we'll go on runs outdoors. This year, our coach has introduced skate skiing. So it's a form of cross-country skiing, but kind of more an aerobic-based one than classic cross-country skiing. Um, and then over the spring, it's kind of a lead into summer season and summer season. So kind of late June through August, even it goes into September and October sometimes. That's when all of our really, really big competitions are. So, I mean, over the summer season, we're probably pulling 18 to 22 hour training weeks. And over the winter season, we'll do 13 to 20 hour training weeks, just depending on kind of the phase we're in. Also, we do strength and conditioning twice a week throughout the entire year. So it's kind of over the winter, you look at building uh, and getting stronger. And then through May and June, it's a power phase where we look to build our power up leading into the on-water season. And on-water, it's just maintenance where we'll even switch into some um, sport-specific strength where we'll do like, they're called, uh, what's it called? Like strength rowing. I forget what it's called. Or can rows where we literally strap a uh, like old rusty cans to the back of our boat and we uh, row against the resistance kind of you know it changes it's fun <laughs> yeah always important to throw some variability in there even if nothing else for just kind of break up the monotony that can sometimes come with uh with training now i know i know that there's sometimes uh yellow tape around these kind of subjects but are you able to speak much about the details of your research yeah, so I'm looking, like I said, I'm looking at uh, elite and sub-elite athletes. So there's kind of a baseline where you need to have a certain level of experience or um, more. Yeah, anyways, it's a threshold. You need to be above the threshold, not below the threshold um, to participate. And you obviously have had to kayak. So I'm looking at the kinetic factors of kayaking in the footboard, the seat, and the paddle. And I'm looking at how all the forces relate to each other, how it relates to the stroke cycle, and how there's variability between each athlete, as well as I'm looking at uh, the asymmetry, so the differences between right and left side um, in these kayakers. And hopefully, eventually, not necessarily right now, we'll be able to look at how the asymmetries affect overall force pro profile and speed. So currently, my research is done on a kayakergometer. Um, so an indoor kayaking machine. And the goal of my project is eventually that uh, researchers can move my work on into a boat and then they'll be able to measure all this stuff on water. It's always really exciting for me to hear about sport research because I mean that was originally where I wanted to end up um, and just by by happenstance I ended up working on a project with more rehab implications which I didn't mind because I was able to work as a uh, research assistant at a couple of different rehab centers during my undergrad master's degree but uh, it must be a lot of fun to get to work with these these high-level athletes in a research capacity. Definitely been really fun working with the athletes. Um, I've been loving that part. Uh, I've gotten to see athletes train at training camps and um, I've gotten to work with them in different settings. So when they're at training camps, even just doing my research, which is um, outside of their training camps. So it's just, it's different seeing athletes at such a high level working towards their goals. Yeah, it's, you, know, you could almost say they're almost like a different breed of human when you get to that point, because just the physical development, the mental uh, toughness and durability, like it's just, it's just another level of dedication. 
when you're taking these measurements, like these force and, and velocity measurements on these athletes, is there any kind of competition brought out? You know, are they, are they saying, yeah, I put more force out this time than you kind of thing? I mean, I think every athlete likes to compare, like they all, they all like to uh, see who's better than the other one. And I've definitely experienced as a research athletes coming up to me and being like, Oh, what was the time the other person pulled? How fast did the other person do? What was their stroke rate? And as researchers, you're obligated ethically to not discuss anyone, any specific result. So, I mean, my, my answer is always the same, but ethically I'm obligated to not tell you, but you know, that the athletes, they, any numbers they actually do know, they're going and comparing it when you're not there. So as long as you're not telling them anything, then you're good. <laughs> oh man, you must be fun at parties. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Um, so, so fun. <laughs> Uh, you know, making the, the decision, the commitment to do uh, a master's degree, it's a lot of individual learning. It's a lot of self-motivation and sometimes a lot of dry, boring work. And it's hard to even, you know, bring yourself to do some of the reading and the writing, let alone while you have to balance, you know, nutrient intake and training schedules. Uh, do you have any, you know, tips and tricks for the, the student athlete, you know, cause I'm, I'm certain people listening to this are are, you know, whether they're a high school athlete looking to make a transition or, you know, at, at kind of a stage in their life, if they're thinking if they want to pursue further athletics while also getting an education. But yeah, I'd love to hear you speak a bit about maybe some tips and tricks or some, uh, some pitfalls you had as trying to navigate your way as a student athlete. Yeah. Um, I mean, trial and error. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what I think most athletes go through. So definitely a lot of trial and error and asking questions from other athletes, like I guess you're doing with me right now. I'm fortunate enough to work with an IST, so integrated sports team. So we have um, like a nutritionist, we have a sports psych, we have a couple of professionals that work with us directly. So that makes the nutrition side of things easier and that side of things a lot easier. But honestly, just for me personally, having a calendar and putting everything on it, it's really good. And then getting enough sleep is huge. And I find just helps me stay on track because then I'm not exhausted and sleeping at my desk all day. And so often I prioritize sleep. <laughs> that's another thing I try and do. That's, that's a, such a good point. Whether you're a student only, an athlete only, a combination, or even just out there in the, in the normal world, just a regular person who who somehow stumbled your way upon this uh, show, but sleep is so important, especially from a performance standpoint, because what some people don't realize is the repair and replenishing functions that occur to allow you to work out again, especially for you who might be doing multiple sessions in a day, let alone the amount of volume you would perform in a week. But people don't realize that those processes that happen overnight after a workout, they're discreet. It's not like you can stay up and only sleep for two, three hours and then get an app the next day or the next afternoon or something like that and get those adaptations and that recovery process going again. Like what people don't realize is you completely miss that window. If you don't get optimal sleep and, and nutrition and whatnot, as far as an athlete or, or someone who trains at the gym uh, every day kind of thing. And then there's also on the other side of that, as far as school goes, there's encoding of memories from short to long term, which is you know, obviously a huge implication in studying because you have to, memorize and learn all these new concepts multiply that by you know four or five depending on your course load and it's kind of the same thing as those physical adaptations like if you don't get adequate amount of sleep you're missing out on the, that encoding of memory and then so all that work is essentially for nothing because you're just gonna have to wake up 
feel even more tired, be in a disadvantaged position to learn, and then already not have learned the bulk of what you studied the day before. So you just take two steps forward and two steps back. Yeah. And I mean, even just readiness to train, readiness to study, those sorts of things. So I think that it affects athletes and individuals, both mentally and physically. Like I know that the days that, I mean, I'd be lying if I said that there were days I got more than five hours of sleep, but uh, those days are definitely the ones where you show up to training and you're at half capacity. So you're only getting half the benefit or even less than half. And then you're going to study and you're not focusing, you're not paying attention, you're making errors. And I mean, I do a lot of coding and I definitely had to rewrite entire scripts because I didn't get enough sleep. So I think it's just tenfold really. <laughs> oh man. I think we'd be here for several hours if we got talking about the, uh, the difficulties of coding on a full night's sleep, let alone on a part night's sleep and a, and a training schedule of an athlete. I guess so we don't keep it too long, uh, we'll get to sort of the questions we like to ask everyone on the show. The first one being, so what do you feel that you're kind of doing to stand out and get ahead, both as an athlete and as a student? Because you're a, an exceptional guest that we have, because most are either one or the other, but we, we haven't had one that's, that's both. So I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on that. What am I doing to get ahead? I guess, I mean, in terms of research, I'm doing pretty novel research, which is really cool. I mean, currently research in kayaking is primarily focused on the paddle forces, at least in terms of kinetics. So kinetics being forces. So they're primarily focused on the paddle forces. Some, not many, have looked at the anterior posterior, so forward, backward forces in the seat and foot forward, where the load cells or force measuring devices we use, they can measure in three dimensions. They have six degrees of freedom. So that's been really cool. Um, and then as an athlete, you know, I put my head down and I just keep training. I make sure that I'm getting my volume in and something that I've really been focusing on over the last year is not just showing up and completing the training plan. Cause for the longest time I was like, if I do what the coach says, then that's going to make me better. But as an athlete kind of doing not just the best that I can and showing up and finishing the work, but showing up with intent, continuing to work towards small goals which ultimately lead towards an end goal yeah that's uh, such a good point uh i mean right from the start talking about just kind of putting your head down and working a lot of people don't realize is and this goes for school this goes for professional life this goes for just the average person who who's just trying to be more physically active maybe get a good good dietary habits going but it's all about consistency if you're not consistent with it, it's great to kind of do some crash diet or something like that for a couple of weeks, drop, you know, 15 pounds. But unfortunately, what most people don't realize most that's water weights because it's a crash diet. And, and, and now then, then they feel kind of that they get that reward, that satisfaction, and then they just stop and go back to their previous behaviors, right? It's about consistency. Actually, I'd love to touch on as well, kind of what you said about not just going through the motions, because that's something I kind of felt. And obviously hindsight's 2020. But that's something I feel like I kind of fell into uh, when I was competing during my undergrad degree, just going through the motions, maybe not doing the little extra work that I could have, uh, not taking care of those outside factors. And I mean, your background in the academic side, your knowledge of that must really help you sort of take those plans that your coaches and nutritionists give you and not, you know, it's not like you're going and bugging them, but if you understand that program, it's much easier for you as an athlete to buy in than if you look at something on your programs, like, why do I do that? And if you don't address that issue, then, you know, that kind of little nagging question in your head sort of starts to grow and grow and grow and might affect your, your training mentality. So, I mean, um, it must be great to have your sort of academic knowledge to apply to your athletics. 
Yeah, no, it's been helpful. I've definitely tried to use it, especially on testing days. I'm like, oh, this is a power test. Okay, how exactly are they measuring the power? And then I try and gain the system, (laughs) try and get the best scores again, knowing how they measure it. So, Well, of course you want to get the best scores because, I mean, then your strength conditioning professional looks at it and says, all right, Kayla's got awesome power output. Let's keep working on that. Let's keep building that and improving that. So, I mean you know, it, it helps if you know what you're measuring, because you'll, you know, you'll get those results that, that you should be getting to actually provide proper indications of your development as an athlete. Mm-hmm. So obviously, we're in the middle of a global pandemic right now, and things are opening, closing, opening, closing all the time. So how has that affected you and your training and your goals in your sport and as well as your, your schooling? Yeah, so when the pandemic originally hit, all sporting in Nova Scotia, at least all team sports, you were no longer allowed to continue it in person. So there was a period of time where we would originally be starting to gear up for summer season. Um, So all of our volumes go up, all of our intensities go up. Instead, our coach decided to give us like a two-week train on your own, do whatever you want. Like if that means you exercise, you exercise. And if that means you don't, you don't. So that was definitely really different. But we then ended up training at home a lot. So we were sent home with rowing machines and (laughs) got to row, do schoolwork and sleep basically all in the same small one bedroom apartment um, for uh, several months. And then we made it back and been on and off uh, being together and not together just because of the different waves of the pandemic. And you kind of just take it day by day. And I mean, at this point, I feel like honestly, it's contributed just to making most athletes out there more resilient because I mean, previously and still going on, you just don't know the progression of how things are going. You don't know what competitions are going to be running. You can speculate as much as you want, but that's just an additional amount of stress. And I'm kind of similar with academics. There was a period of time where I was gearing up to start in-person research and they said, nope, no in-person research. But luckily between the waves, I managed to get all my collections in. Yeah. And it's just been a lot of doing everything in the same confined space. So. Yeah, I mean, I really hope you and your teammates are, uh, are at least like each other a little bit if you got to stay in a one-bedroom apartment together. Yeah, I like the point that you made about really bringing out the resiliency in, in athletes. And I mean, this really, it's, it's across the board for, for people just in their jobs and their personal lives and their hobbies, right? Like it's really forcing people to have a little bit of resiliency, a little bit of mental toughness to kind of now, you know, it's a lot more fun to go work out in a gym than it is to do push-ups at home. But when the gym's closed, sometimes you need that little inner voice that says, all right, come on, today's the day. We're doing our at-home workouts for people who are um, unfamiliar with that stuff. If you're looking for some at-home workouts, I can shameless plug in and pop over to my, my Instagram page there, which is uh, plugged on the graphic for some home workouts but I mean YouTube is always a great resource like if you just plug in body weight exercise for at home I bet you can find just a plethora of them speaking of uh, shameless plugs Kayla is, as we wrap up here is there anything you want to highlight do you need to get any more research participants uh, any any programs or or, or anything uh, a- any competitions upcoming you like to highlight or any social pages um I don't really have many <laughs> professional social pages yeah, and then I'm done recruitment. So <laughs> at this point, it's just my head's down. I'm <laughs> just plugging <laughs> forward. No shameless plugs on Kayla's end. Always, always Sorry. very humble. Well, yeah. thank you very much, Kayla, for, uh, for joining us today and, and volunteering your time to 
give a little bit of your knowledge and experience. And I'm certain there's people out there who are in similar positions, or even if they're not in a, from a similar background as you, I'm certain there's things that they can apply to their everyday life. So again, thank you very much for joining us today. Of course. All right, folks, that's all. For the Maritime Health and Performance Chat for this week. We'll see you next time.